from the virtual newsroom of Impact Alpha. This is your Impact Briefing for Friday, October 8th. I'm Monique Aiken. Today, I'm joined by Sherelle Dorsey, the founder and CEO of The Plug, a business intelligence platform for inclusive business leaders getting smart about the Black innovation economy. Their new website launched this week. Welcome to the show, Sherelle. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad you're here. But first, here's what you need to know from the week in Impact Investing. Impact Investing's global network is going local. At its global summit this week, the Global Steering Group for Impact Investing, known as the GSG, brought together national advisory boards, or NABs, from dozens of countries. Many of the NABs are working to get pension funds in their countries to invest in impact locally. In West Africa, Impact Investing Ghana is creating a locally run fund of funds to help Ghanaian pension funds invest in small and growing businesses, which provide five out of every six jobs in the country. Retail investors are getting new tools to flex their collective power. Small shareholders have shown they can drive the price of meme stocks like GameStop. A Brooklyn-based startup, Troop, aims to tap that kind of energy to influence corporate behavior on climate change, private prisons, working conditions, and other issues. Loop raised $21 million to change the way car insurance is priced. Good drivers with bad credit pay double what good drivers with good credit pay. At least 26 million Americans have no credit history at all. Austin-based Loop is ditching demographics, credit scores, income, and education, and instead insuring drivers based on weather conditions, traffic data, and how they drive. They launched this month and already have a waiting list of more than 30,000 drivers. Vendantu is catching in on India's sizzling edtech market. The Bangalore-based online tutoring company raised $100 million to make affordable online tutoring widely available. They already serve roughly 35 million users a month. And Droneseed raised $36 million to help forests quickly recover from wildfires. The Seattle company uses a fleet of drones to plant seeds and seedlings as soon as 30 days after a fire and sells credits to companies looking to reduce their carbon footprint. Do Good Foods raised $165 million to recycle grocery waste. The New Jersey-based company processes excess food from grocers to raise chickens and other animals. Roughly 40% of grocery, fruit, vegetables, and meat ends up in landfills. Impact Alpha subscribers got all of these stories and more in their email each day this week. Hi, Sherelle. Thanks for joining me today. First of all, congratulations on launching The Plug's new site this week. It looks amazing. Can you share a little bit more about The Plug, what you're doing, and your angle? Yes, absolutely. Thank you again for having me um, today. So um, we have been around, we started off as a daily tech newsletter back in 2016. I was still working for um, some different tech startups like Uber and Google Fiber um, and really sort of pouring into this daily tech newsletter that was covering Black innovators, fund managers, and startup ecosystem leaders and communities, really trying to get at this idea that we are under-reporting on, under-covering, and under-researching this sort of new frontier of Black innovators that are really, um, really showcasing and weaving into the fabric of business um, on a national as well as a global scale. Um, And so today, 
our work, you know, continues on that thread, um, diving deep into those data sets and reporting that are really helping us to better synthesize and understand, well, what's happening um, across the board as new VCs, Black VCs and Black fund managers are getting access to more resources um, or new talent pipelines are being, um, being discovered above and beyond across HBCUs um, and new kinds of partnerships outside of Silicon Valley. Um, and so our entire team truly is, is committed to this notion of, you know, Black tech is, is just as essential and a tremendous contributor to um, technology, business, and the future of work overall. Um, and we have significantly, both in journalism as well as within research, um, have under-examined under um, what these sort of new opportunities actually mean. So how did you get here? You know, I actually got here um, to this moment in time because my grandfather decided to hop on a bus in the early 1950s <laughs> with um, a bag of sandwiches and go rent a room at the YMCA in downtown Seattle. Um, he left Detroit. He didn't have any friends or family, um, but he was able to land a job at Boeing, um, had never been to Seattle a day in his life, um, but went and worked as an aircraft technician back during that time when Boeing was really increasing hiring of Black workers. Um, and so I, I always start with that because my grandfather was a technologist in our family who did not necessarily have a high school diploma, but he got a vocational certificate that allowed him to get a great job and take care of his family and buy my first computer, my cousin's first computer. And that really set us um, up for understanding how the internet and how technology was going to shape our lives. Um, and so, you know, throughout high school, growing up in Seattle, I learned how to code as part of a technology access foundation program. Um, I worked at Microsoft during the summers as an intern in high school. And, you know, I was taught, trained and inspired by black, brown, white, you know, gay, lesbian um, engineers, just people from all kinds of backgrounds who had strong affinities for technology and were building incredible things. And that's who I was inspired by. But unfortunately, as I you know, went off to college in New York City and started to, um, to work in the professional environments, the literature of who was an innovator was so very limited to just one group of, of people. And it was very contrary to my experience growing up and what I knew to be true, um, particularly about who we get to call genius, because I had geniuses from all backgrounds around me all of the time. Um, but again, those stories were not being told. So in addition to kind of working and and um, sort of early career, like being on the grind for different um, for different companies and, and startups, you know, I was writing for Fast Company, for The Root, for Black Enterprise, and really just working on stories and building up a reputation for covering Black tech in a way that was rigorous and dogged and really looked at data versus just kind of the deficit data narratives that have been emerging um, around Black and brown people within the tech space. And um, at some point, I just really, I really just like built up this following um, of people who, who were interested in what I had to say and the kind of people that I was covering. And um, at some point I realized, you know, what would it be like to create the Black Bloomberg or the Black Wall Street Journal? Um, what kind of reporting could we have on the table that would really help us not just understand what black and brown people are doing, but sort of how this impacts across the board around business, finance, tech, the future overall. 
Um, and so for me, that was really the the Bloomberg's and the Wall Street Journal's, the Impact Alpha is like, are we're really the the standards um, for for how we cover these spaces and really honor and rigorously interrogate the data to understand how Black innovation is shaping the world um, at, at a whole. So I want to say again, you know, that story does start in Detroit with my grandfather hopping on the Greyhound um, and all the subsequent experiences that I've had since then, um, bringing me here to tell a story of Black innovation in a very, um, in a very dogged sort of way. You know, it's interesting. We talk about who gets to tell the story often in general case, but we often don't talk about who gets to compile the data and who gets to report on the data as part of real critical information to understand about what stories get told, what data gets compiled, what gets into the algorithm in some ways. And you mentioned that that you all are compiling some and filling critical information gaps in the market. And this contributes to narrative change in many ways. And I think that has also evolved even more so in the last year or so since the murder of George Floyd and some of the new data sets that you created about the pledges that were, you know, in vogue at the time, and whether folks have fulfilled them or not, go far away into providing some information about accountability, which we need now ever more so than we ever did, which we always needed it. So you've been following the money. What have you found? Yes, absolutely. You know, we've been following the money. We've been following um, the data, the culture, um, obviously, you know, having some you know, quantitative data along with our own experiences, our own lived experiences, along with the lived experiences of our professional communities, um, the Plugs member community, um, you know, really contributed to this sort of larger conversation of, yes, tech companies made very big and bold statements um, following the murder of George Floyd, subsequent protests. And you look up and you're like, it's 2021 and we're still having these same conversations. And at some point, the conversations are distraction, right? You know, it's great to give money. It's great to say what you are going to do. And we really wanted to look at what has actually already been done, what kind of leadership roles are provided or um, are, you know, feature folks of color, women, people from just general diverse backgrounds. What does that look like from a board member perspective? Um, we didn't want to aggrandize, you know, tech companies or big business that had, you know, made great statements and had done a bit of work. We really wanted to see the work in action. So aggregating the data from DEI reports along with statements that CEOs were pulling together, creating some visualization around it um, for us was just part of the journalistic process. And when we put that into the world, it went viral, seen over 600,000 times across industries from you know the graduate uh, Stanford Graduate School of Business um, to you know uh, Disney Plus in Amsterdam. I mean, people were using this data set as a way to host very hard conversations at work or to make the case on the recruiting teams that listen, we are still not doing enough to ensure that we have a diverse pipeline, and here's the data to prove it. So. With being able to centralize that information, we were able to speak from a sense of knowledge versus, again, sort of anecdotal diversity theater PR standpoint. Um, we even had folks who were, you know, employees at, at big tech companies who were looking to make moves, 
you know, let us know, hey, I'm actually using this particular data set in order to um, think about my next opportunity, which company I want to work for. Um, and that was a very powerful sort of byproduct of our reporting. And, um, and of course, you know, I think subsequently we saw other offshoots of industry players start to look at that level of measurement. But more important, Monique, is that, you know, the idea that big tech always prides itself on the usage and the utility of data. And yet we haven't always seen that level of transparency in how they actually operate. And so for sort of every CEO that did reach out to us or every HR team that reached out to us to provide information about the makeup of their employees, um, you know, we also got teams that weren't willing to share that or saying that we don't track, you know, these sort of quantifiable metrics on and measure, you know, what company culture and diversity looks like on our teams. And so, um, again, you know, with journalism as, as a whole, um, you know, it is important for us to be able to interrogate the data. Um, but I think also, you know, it ushered in a new realm of this idea of accountability, like how do we you know, I think someone mentioned earlier, you know, how do you do your work in public? Um, but more important, be very honest that, listen, we're not in a perfect place, but we are thinking about this and we're trying to move the numbers. I often think about pre-COVID, post-COVID world and the new lenses we need to see the world and what we cannot unsee that's happened in the last few years between our systems fragility and other things. And one of those consciousness that has been raised is related to race, related, you know, as an offshoot of those uprisings that you talked about post the murder of George Floyd. And the other thing that's ever present is the climate change conversation these days. Um, and, you know, with good reason. So enter the next week's Agents of Impact call, Black Tech Green Solutions. So how is climate change overlaying, intersecting, um, affecting your work and even this, the consciousness around climate justice in that conversation too. And can you give us a little preview of what the call is going to be about? Absolutely. You know, climate change and climate justice are directly correlated. Um, actually, prior to covering tech, um, I actually, you know, wrote a lot for Inhabitat um, as well as Triple Pundit. And so a lot of my work was talking to environmental justice groups because as much as you know, we have to worry about climate as human beings living on the planet, um, the reality is that disproportionately, you know, uh, communities of color, lower income communities, those without resources and access will be the most affected. Um, we'd seen that in things like the overproduction of plastics, um, particularly in black and brown young girls um, starting puberty early as a result of the chemicals within their bodies. Um, you know, we're seeing that across the board when we think about higher asthma rates in, in majority black and brown communities as well. This is always, environmental justice has always been an ongoing challenge. Um, and when we relate that to entrepreneurship and we look at the inference and the instances of, you know, black founders, black and brown founders in technology, in food and supply chains, in, um, you know, renewable energies, we don't see a tremendous swarth of people. And so the conversation that we're going to be having um, for the Agents of Impact conversation is going to be very apropos. Um, the climate solutions being led by and being um, mitigated through the products, services, um, and and you know overall like technology that's being built by these individuals um, is so critical um, because they understand the urgency of building in a way that maybe other founders do not understand. Um, and and now as we look at the opening of 
infrastructure dollars. We look at the the kind of understanding and the pouring in of resources to things like community um, renewable energy and green tech. These conversations, like we we have to have robustly, and we have to make sure that there is a sense of equity and inclusiveness as well. Um, so that call um, is really going to help us to deep dive and look at leaders in the space, um, some of the great opportunities that they're experiencing, but also some of the unique challenges that they're facing as well. Um, you know, being founders in this space in a very niche area that has not gotten as much attention as it deserves, or enough funding as as much funding as it deserves, um, but then also throwing on an additional layer of, you know, being um, a minority within the space um, and how that impacts their ability to build um, quickly and also scale. Um, so I'm really excited to really sit down, um, you know, the plug and impact alpha hosting this discussion uh, with some power players, you know, in the green tech, clean tech space. That sounds awesome. We can't wait. Thank you, Sherelle. Thank you so much. And that's going to do it for your impact briefing this week. More all day at impactalpha.com. Thanks to our producer, Isaac Silk. Subscribe to get full access to the site and the daily brief. Right now, we're offering podcast listeners $100 off their first subscription. Go to impactalpha.com slash subscribe and use the code briefing100. Thank you for listening. I'm Monique Aiken, Managing Director for TIP, the Investment Integration Project. Make sure to check back for next week's briefing. And until then, take good care.